This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Yemen Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Chuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. Last week, we discussed some chuvas of Rebbe Kiva Eger, and we pointed out that some of the questions he asked and discussed and answered were to and from his son-in-law of the second marriage, the Chatam Safer. Today we will deal with the Chatam Safer and a few of his chuvas in Chelek Arachayim. The Chatam Safer was born in Frankfurt. In a certain sense, he always felt that he was from Frankfurt. In general, his, he signed his letters Moshe Selfer from Frankfurt. He was born in 1762. As a young man, he had two main rebbies. One was Rapinchas Harowitz, who was a Hasidish person who wrote the Sefer Hafla, a Hasid. The other was Reb Nassim Adler. Personally, I know more about Reb Nassim Adler as the Rebbe of the Chassam Sofer than anything else. The Chassam Sofer extolled his virtues in a number of places, in a number of places, and he certainly considered him his Rebbe Muvak, the Gon Hadar. Interestingly enough, although one of his Rebbe's, the Hafla, the Hamakne, was a Chassid, when Chassam Sofer was Masbid, his Rebbe, Reb Nassim Adler, he wrote about him, or he said about him, He reached the epitome of Chassidut, and then he added, Not like today's Chassidim, Chas V'Shalom. The fact that the Chassam Sofer was not influenced by Chassidus of of Pinchas, his Rebbe, is interesting and is worthy of some biographical study. The Chassam Sofer became a Rav in Pressburg and when consulted, along with many other Rabbanim, uh, to lead the fight against Haskala, against Maskilim, apparently that's when the Chassam Sofer's fame came to the fore. He did not print his Sfarim while alive, and although Pressburg was considered a great city, other cities were even known to be greater, and therefore, perhaps, in that generation, other Rabbanim were better known than the Chassam Sofer. Very quickly, though, his name spread because we know that a, a number of biographies were written about him in early generations and, and now in the modern generations more has been written about him. More biographies have been written about him. Uh, Professor Katz, Yaakov Katz of Hebrew University has uh, taken a great interest in the Chassam Sofer obviously because of his historical significance 
but he has a number of places where he discusses the Khatam Safer. One of the things that I, some of the ideas that I cited this morning about his attitude toward Chazidus was taken from Rabbi Yaakov Katz's, Professor Katz's article in Kavim Libiographia Shla Khatam Safer. Certain points he wanted to make about the Khatam Safer. One of the things that is interesting to note is that while the fame of the Chassam Sofer originally perhaps was known because of his rigid approach against any modern modernism of Judaism, in fact, the battle cry that somehow became so famous that the Chassam Sofer used those words, Chadash Asur Torah, of course, it's referring to the specific Easter of Chadash, which is not uh, a topic at all of mine, but he paraphrased. He used that as a, as a, as a, a sort of a, a catchphrase to say that any modern changes, anything new, is usher. And therefore, there was some criticism of the Chatam Sofer in the early generations where people tried to point out that he wasn't aware. Some people argued that he wasn't enough aware of the modern world and didn't deal with it in any way except to say that everything is usher. However, interestingly enough, the, there are certain facets about the life of the Chatam Sofer that were only noted or more significantly noted in later generations. For example, he was very concerned with the Jewish homeland in Eretz Yisrael, not referring at all to political Zionism, but before the generation of political Zionism, he was very concerned about the Yishuv HaYehudi in Eretz Yisrael. In fact, one of the most beautiful Zionistic comments made by the Chassam Sofer is found in his Chidushim on Maseches Sukkah. There, a, a, a well-known point uh, that's known by the Tzioni Dati Lu'umi world is where he refers to the famous discussion whether a person should work as it says a person should reap, should do his work or should you say that a person should basically learn Torah all day and uh, worry about, let other people worry about their panasa. And the Chassam Sofer said in Sukkah, Daf Lamid Hay, or Daf Lamid Vav, the Chassam Sofer said that the statement of Asafta de Ganecha is only referring to Eretz Israel. When Jews live in Israel, then there's a mitzvah to work the land because of Yishuv Eretz Israel and to develop, to reap the fruits of Eretz Yisrael. And then the Torah said, It's a mitzvah. Then the Chassam Sofer says, it's as if a person would say, I don't want to put on tefillin because I'm busy learning Torah. He, therefore, he should similarly not say, I'm not going to work the land because of the mitzvah of Torah. The idea that a person can spend his whole life without work Chassam Sofer said, perhaps that's true in, in Chutzaretz. But in Eretz Yisrael, where Yishuv Haaretz is a mitzvah, working the land is a mitzvah, so a person must, it's preferable to go to work. Interestingly enough, this Chassam Sofer is known in some circles, but I guess in other circles it's not well known. 
an orith, an, not an authoritative source told me that he saw an edition of the Chuvas of the Chidushim Chasam Sofer where this was missing. I haven't found the edition in which it was missing, but someone told me that it was not found in every edition of the of the of the of the Chidushim of the Chasam Sofer. He also had a very positive attitude toward the language of Hebrew. Now, it is true that there was a certain element of debate here. Perhaps modern, the modern uh, Maskilim wanted to uh, change some of the service, some of the tefillah to the vernacular. Perhaps the Chassam Safa was fighting that particular battle, but it was also true that he did definitely was interested in preparing, in, in continuing the study of Hebrew, the knowledge of Hebrew. These are some of the few points that are somehow the Chassam Sofer's image was not known to be a Zionist. He he was more known as a, a very staunch opponent, opponent of the Maskilim. Today we'll discuss uh, the Chassam Sofer was Nifter in 1839 when he was about 77 years old. As I said before, his Svarim were not printed in his life. He, the People assembled chuvas. We have three big volumes of chuvas of the Chassam Sofer in all areas of Torah. We also have Chidushim on Chas, also printed in three big volumes, and we have two volumes at least of Pirush of Drush that he get on Chumash. So, although he did not print anything in his life, we have quite a bit of literature of the Chassam Sofer. Today, I'd like to discuss a few of the more famous chuvas or perhaps issues that we can relate to in our generation as well that are found in Arachaim. The first chuva that I'd like to discuss is chuva memches. There the Chassam Sofer discusses the issue of women vis-a-vis Bechat Amazon. Now let's remember that the Gemara in Brachos, the Avchafam base said that relating to the Mishnah and that women are, are chayavot in Berchat HaMazon. Women must bench. However, the Gemara has a whole discussion. Is this true midaraisa or only midrabanan? If women are chayav in Berchat HaMazon, midaraisa, the Gemara says, they can be motzi men. If they're chayav midrabanan, they cannot be motzi men. Now, I already mentioned very recently the there's a discussion, why should women not be chayav midaraisa? One of the reasons might be, and we won't go into this whole discussion because I only need one point for today. And that is, according to one opinion, women cannot say, they refer to brit milah in benching. And since benching and mentioning brit milah is indispensable for brichat mazon, all that, is, of course, is an assumption of mine now, if it is true that you must mention Brit in Birchat Amazon, women cannot say Brit. And Brit is indispensable for Birchat Amazon. Therefore, then, in that case, women would not be chayv in Birchat Amazon but only midrabanan. Now, if this would be true, then today we would have to discuss actually women being mostly men because of that very fact. Now, the Gemara said clearly that women can be Motsi men. So what does that prove? Here the Chatam Sofer deals with the issue 
and says it deal it only proves that if women can be mozi men in Bechat Amazon, either women somehow can say Brit, which is really doubtful, or as the Chastam Sofer puts it, that Gemara would assume that Brit is not Ma'akev. Brit is not indispensable Bechat Amazon, although we do say it, but if you don't say it, if you don't say Brit, you can be Yotzei Bechat Amazon anyway. If that's true, then women can be Mozi men without saying the part about Brit. In fact, people aren't aware of it, but in the Shulchan Aruch, it actually says that women should not say Brit. Today, all the women say, the Mishlebura explains why our custom is, is as such. But according to the Shulchan Aruch, women do not say Brit. So if women do not say Brit, the only assumption is they can be Mozi men because it's not necessary to say Brit. The Chatam Sofer, however, comes up with a different point. Perhaps when the Gemara says women are chayev in Birchat Hamazon midaraita, they can be mozi men, it's referring to the first part of Birchat Hamazon. Now we all remember the first part of Birchat Hamazon, the, the Gemara attributes it to Moshe Rabbeinu. And it was said before we came with Eretz Yisrael, and it has nothing to do with Eretz Yisrael, which it, therefore Eretz Yisrael is connected to Brit. So therefore, the first part of Birchat Hamazon, women are chayev midaraisa, can be mozi men. That would be very uh, big chiddush. That even if we would say Birchat Hamazon is the rabbanan for women, perhaps the first part is daraisa, and women can be mozi men in the first part. In fact, the Noda Yehuda uses that argument to claim that women are chayev, according to the opinion that women are chayev to rabbanan in Birchat Hamazon. He asked the question. Where is it and how is it that women are chayiv drabanan? In general, if women are pater midaraisa, then they're pater midrabanan. But the Nodab Yehuda came up with this big chiddush. Since women are chayiv in the first part of Birchas Hamazan midaraisa, therefore the Gemara thought when Rabbanan instituted the Birchas Hamazan for women, it was because midaraisa they are chayiv in Birchas Hamazan. Only one part. The rest are not chayev. So therefore, since there was already a daraisa, Chacham Samal just included the whole Birchat Hamazon in the daraisa. Be that as it may, the Chatam Safer then comes up with a big Chiddush. It's possible to say that we could now argue with the Gemara and base ourselves on a different Gemara. We might argue and say that women cannot be multi men in Birchat Hamazon at all. Even though the Gemara said women are chay, if they're chayiv midaraisa they're going to be mozi men, but I will now argue and say that is according to the opinion that brit is 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 not me'akev. But if we paskin like the other Gemara that brit is me'akev, then we would have to say that women could not be mozi men. In fact, the Chatam Sofer uses this argument to explain an opinion of the Magen Avram. He quotes a, an opinion of, I'm sorry, not of the Magen Avram, of the Agot Ashri. The Agot Ashri in Megillah, Parak Aleph, says as follows, Nashim chayavot bibichat hamazon min ha-Torah, aval inam motziot et ha-nashim sheinam yecholim lomar brit. That's the way it's printed. Women are chayav in bichat hamazon midaraisa, but they cannot be mozi men. Now, that's very difficult, because the Gemara in Brachas said that if the women are chayv midaray, so they can be mozi men. How could it be? So the Chazam Safer said very well. Our, this, the Agat Ashri was assuming 
that Brit is an indispensable part of Brichat HaMazon, since women can't say that part of Brichat HaMazon, they are chayev at least in the first part, which is the Raisa. But the rest of Brichat HaMazon could also be the Raisa for women. Just, they don't say Brit. But for men, who would have to say Brit, it would be the Raisa to say Brit. And therefore, a woman could not be mostly men. This discussion, of course, is very relevant in our world. How do we paskin? Can women be mostly men in Birchat Amazon? I know of cases where women and men were present in a case where men cannot, do not know how to bench. Uh, especially when you deal with the Kiev organizations. Or when at the time when we used to go to Russia to deal, well, perhaps they still do, but to deal with groups of people that really their basic knowledge of Judaism was very weak, but they had a meal and they would bench. So sometimes the only people that were there were the young ladies or the women who came to be Mekayev, came to work with these people. In which case, there's a very serious issue. The Chatam Salver here raised a great argument that women cannot be Motsi men in Birchat Hamazon, even if women are Chayv Midaraisa. In Birchat Another tshuva that I also once discussed in a, in a, in a, in a shir was the opinion that was quoted that women that um, a person, if you give shalach manas to someone, when Purim, a person gave mishlach manas to someone. And he refused to accept it. He didn't want to accept it. So what would be the din? Did the person who gave the Mishlach Manot, did he fulfill the obligation? This tshuva was interesting because it seems to have been written on Purim. It's tshuva kuftzadi vav in Arachayim that was written with the, since the salutation is Simchat Purim to my friend, and the date of the tshuva was actually the week before, Zayin Adar, but he wished his friend Simchat uh, Purim, so it wasn't written on Purim, there are other tshuvas that were written on Purim, but in this tshuva, the Chatam Sofer discussed the issue quoted by the Raman Shulchan Aruch, that a person could be Yotzei Shalach Manis, even if the recipient refused to accept it. It seems that the idea is l'shloach manot, and whether the person received it or not is almost irrelevant. But the Chatam Sofer dealt with a typical type of yeshiva chakira. What is the idea of shalach manis? Is it in order to make sure that the recipient has food for Purim, has something to eat? In general, we think you're supposed to give food for Mishlach Manas. In fact, uh, the modern achronim, uh, the modern poskim, uh, deal with what foods can you send to be fulfilled the Mitzvah Mishlach Manas, what happens if they're, if they're canned, what happens if they need to be cooked, what happens if they're frozen, all kinds of different questions. But that might be the reason that of Mishlach Manas, to see to it that the recipient has food for Purim. Or Perhaps it's something else. Perhaps the point of Mishlach Manot is just to show friendship. Remember, and the Chatam Sofer points out, that on Purim, 
one of the tragedies of the Jewish nation at the time of Purim was what it says in the Megillah. Yeshno amechad mefuzar umeforat. A nation that seems to be split into groups. Mefuzar umeforat. Whereas they should have been one nation. One indivisible nation. We should all feel that we're part of the same organic unit. He didn't, the Chatam Safer didn't quote, but we know that there's sources that talk about the Jewish entity, the Jewish old nation, as almost one body. And you're, you and I are closely connected. And I'll discuss that in another tshuva in a few minutes. So he said, the practical difference between these two opinions would be the case of a person wrote, a person sent the Mishlach Manot to a person who refused to accept it. In terms of showing the friendship, it could very well be he didn't need, he didn't want to accept presents. Ulai, maybe he thought, matanot he didn't want presents at all. But he certainly understood the good intentions of the person who sent it. And that certainly would increase the feeling of friendship and love for each other. On the other hand, he didn't have food for Purim. He didn't get the food for Purim. So the Chatam Sofer said it might depend upon those two opinions. He then goes on to discuss a very famous uh, discussion about people were actually Achronim also discussed this at great length could a person write Divrei Torah to his friend to fulfill the mitzvah of Mishloch Manot? According to the reasoning of the Chatam Sofer, if a person, the purpose of Mishloch Manot is to really give him food, to give him, make sure he eats something, then of course writing Divrei Torah would not help at all. If the purpose is to show friendship, one really could argue what would be greater friendship than writing down a letter filled with Divrei Torah to give to my friend. And of course it's known that the Chatam Safa refers to people who actually seem to have done such an idea to write Divrei Torah. In, in the Misnagdasha world, they like to put it uh, the same type of concept in a different uh, in different area. Uh, they discuss, it is discussed, in people can be Yotzei Mishlach Manos, uh, people can be Yotzei Sudash Lishit. The third meal of Shabbos, if it can be Yotzei with Divrei Torah. Is the purpose really to have something like Kavit Shabbos, to eat? How do you look at it? So they say that many Hasidim said that you can be Yotzei with the Torah. Someone told me that Rav Mital, I heard this from other people too, but someone told me that in the yeshiva in Gush Etzion, Rav Mital once said that he he scoffed at the idea that you can be Yotzei Shalashudas with the Torah. But he put it in the way that it's known that the Hasidim have said for many, many generations. They, they claim that what would happen if a person says Torah and you thought you were Yotzei Shalashudas? And then afterwards, someone rejected that Divrei Torah. The Yiddish phrase would be, you slug up the Divrei Torah. So if you slug up the Divrei Torah, there were no Divrei Torah, so you weren't Yotzei Shalashudas. So then the, someone answered, 
that with a piece of, I mean, someone continued, a piece of uh, Torah you can always slug up. You can't slug up a kichel and herring and gefiltavish. You just can't slug it up. So therefore, it's always better to be Yotzei Divrei Torah with food. Here, a person could use somehow the same type of uh, uh, sort of a jocular argument that it's better to send food for Shalach Maris and not rely on Divrei Torah. Nevertheless, it's a famous question that Achronim have discussed. One of the particular issues that perhaps today more people are aware of was the Tshuva Kuf Samichvav, where the Chassam Sofer was asked if uh, about the Maharal. The Maharal, in his Sefer, Nitivot Olam, did not say the Piyut, Machnisei HaRachamim, on Yamim Noraim. And his reason, his reason was, we don't go to, Malach, to Malachim, we go straight to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The uh, many sources have discussed the issue whether you're allowed to daven to Malachim to intercede between you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or are we supposed to approach HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly? And some of the tefillos therefore would be affected. One of them is this period called Machnisei Rachamim, those people, those Malachim, celestial beings that bring in our prayers before God. So, the person who asked the question to the Chassam Sofer said, we have places in Tanakh. For example, Vateilech Lidroshat Hashem. Vateilech, in this week's Parsha, we read it yesterday. Vateilech Lidroshat Hashem. So, the Ramban says, that she went to Davin. Rishonim explained that they went to Davin. So, the Chatam Sofer said, really the Maharal himself raised and discussed this point, but I'd like to explain to you what I think he meant. And the Chatam Sofer said that sometimes when a king has a, a judgment with a, a simple person, a hediot. Sometimes the hediot is just not important enough to appear before the king. Perhaps he doesn't know how to speak eloquently enough before the king. Then they'll get someone to intervene between them. But he said, Jewish people have a special connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they're accepted before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even if they stutter, even if they don't know how to pronounce. Well, remember the Pasuk in Shirashim, Diglo Alai Ahava, the Chatam Sofer quoted it, Dilgo Alai Ahava, based on the Medrash, that what you, that even what you skip, HaKadosh Baruch Hu likes, a person doesn't say all the words correctly. But this refers to the fact that Jews can dive in directly to God and don't need Malachim. However, he said, when you deal with people, and as I mentioned before, according to the concept of Am Echad, if you think that we're really one nation, and one person feels the pain of another one, and therefore, he himself needs whatever that person needs. And he quotes the Gemara, a person who davens 
for his friend to have a shlema, should actually become sick himself. If you understood the pain and really sympathized and empathized with that person, then you yourself are in that situation. Now, although we're one body, in a body there's a head, there's a foot, there are different parts of the body. So sometimes a person who feels he's not worthy, he feels as if he's the foot of the body of Am Yisrael. And he would ask the Tamid Chacham, who's like the head of the body, to intercede for him in Davin. So therefore, Rav Chassam Sofer tried to explain that the custom of asking people to Davin is not the same as asking Malachim to Davin. And then, in a biographical comment, the Chatam Sofer said something interesting. He himself did not say Machnisei Rachamim. How did he do it? He said, because, let's remember, Machnisei Rachamim is printed at the end of the Slichos. So what he did is, he said the Slichos a little slower than other people. He said Tachnun a little slower than other people. And, and then at the end, when they finished saying uh, Slichos and said Kaddish, he didn't have time. So he just skipped that part. It wasn't obvious to the Tzibur that he was skipping it, but he did skip it. And he, he, although he did defend somehow the custom of davening, of asking Rebbes, Hasidish Rebbes, or whoever you ask to intercede, it's interesting because we saw also today that he had no great appreciation for Hasidus. Nevertheless, he did justify the custom of asking people to intercede for you. Very quickly, I'd just like to mention one big Chiddush of the Chatam Sofer that's repeated, right, that's written right after this tshuva, in Kuf Sadi Samches, in Arachayim, he says a tremendous Chiddush. The question that was brought to him was about fasting in Rosh Hashanah, a person who accepted that he fasted every year on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, and now he, he wasn't well, and he wanted to know if he could if not fast, if he could fast another day instead. This led the Chatam Sofer to a discussion of the, co- the concept of Kavod Va'onik and Simcha. Now, those people that remember, for a few weeks ago we discussed Rebbe Kivager's discussion about Kavod Va'onik and Simcha as relates to women. Here, the Chatam Sofer regards as relates to, to men. He points out in Hilcha Shabbos, when the Rambam says that Kavod and Onik Shabbos is Midivrei Sofrim, a Pasig Nishayahu, he pointed out how can a Navi make up a new halacha? And then he says what I think is important to be aware of. Ein kavanato shurak mitzvah derabanan o midivrei kabbalah k'mapurim ela deoraita mamish k'neema neema l'mashu rabbeinu alav ha-shalom ba'alpeh. The Chatam Sofer said that the Rambam, when the Ram said that kavod and Shabbos are midivrei selfim, he did not mean it's a mitzvah derabanan he meant it's a mitzvah daraisa. And he calls it Divrei Sofrim. Divrei Sofrim is the phrase, Divrei Sofrim is a tremendously problematic phrase in the Rambam all over. But we know there are places where the Rambam says Divrei Sofrim and people who have such trouble with it and the Chatam Sofrim thinks it's simple that it's daraisa, but it's learned from Yud Gimel Midas. But something that's called Divrei Sofrim is, could be daraisa, but it's learned from a drasha somehow. And therefore, he said that uh, the covered for Oneg on Shabbos is a mitzvah daraisa. And that's why the Ramam says if a person would make a neder or an, a shvua to fast on Shabbos, it would be a shvua shav. Because Shabbos is daraisa, 
and midaraisa, a person has to eat. He points out that there is a distinction between Shabbos and Yantif. By Shabbos, you must have Onik Shabbos. So he said, a person has to have Onik on Shabbos. And if a person wants to fast on Shabbos, you could discuss if that's considered Onik. If a person eats without Onik, they didn't fulfill the mitzvah. Whereas in Yom Tov, he says, the idea is not covered for Onik as much as Simcha. And Simcha really requires eating. And then he goes on to discuss the distinction between Simcha of, Sha- of Yom Tov, covered for Oneg of Shabbos, but the big Chiddush here is that covered for Oneg is actually, according to his understanding, a mitzvah daraisa on Shabbos. This is a very unusual and uncommon approach.